welcome to Healing and Horsemanship, a podcast exploring the many healing paths we walk with horses. I'm your host, Shannon Ray Riley of Wild Willing Therapeutics and Training. This show is supported by The Herd. The Herd offers monthly bonuses for members, including access to a growing content library on all things health, wellness, and horses. For more on membership, visit wildwilling.com slash podcast. Thank you for joining me on this wild ride. And now, on to the show. Welcome back to Healing and Horsemanship. This is episode 11. This is going to be a very special episode. I won't actually have a guest on today, but I'll be sharing with you a story that's been in the making for a very long time. Today, I'll be talking about wild horses. When I say wild horses, it conjures romantic Western imagery in many of our imaginations. They spark inspiration in our hearts and minds, but that isn't all that they fuel. Wild horses are a source of hundreds of years of controversy and debate that continues to this day in the not-so-wild West. This episode is about my journey coming to know wild horses firsthand from an activist perspective, then a trainer's perspective, a guardian's perspective, and then finally from the perspective of a researcher. In this episode, I'll be sharing all about the history of the wild horse in North America as well as their present day plight and why it's even of consequence. Note that later on in the episode, there is some graphic language about the violence committed against wild horses in the early 1900s before they became a federally protected animal. I'll try to preface it so that listeners who would rather not hear the details can skip ahead. The main reason I'm devoting this episode to wild horses, though, is because over the last decade, I have essentially voluntarily and figuratively been dragged away by wild horses. I wouldn't be where I am today without their influence in my life, period. And I was not just influenced by any wild horses, but by American Mustangs. They've taken on such a lead role in my life that lately I've come to reflect on my own story and wonder, what if Mustangs are actually the main character? What if my purpose on this planet is to support them in their hero's journey? At least those are the kinds of things you start to wonder when you spend so much time with horses and so much time contemplating what it means to be wild in a world that has become increasingly domestic. And so I'll be telling you all about what I've come to find out about the hero's journey of the American Mustang and how they could use not just my support, but yours too, as we explore solutions to managing them on the range and better tending to them in the domestic world. But first off, the real reason I started seeking to define what a Mustang is was an experience I had gentling young Mustangs for an adoption program at the Wild Horse Sanctuary Montgomery Creek Ranch. During my time there, nearly a decade ago, I kept a daily journal and published my writing as a blog on the first ever website I built on Squarespace. The experience was transformative in more ways than one, 
As the fellow trainers I worked alongside and lived with for 30 plus days, Lena Haug and Emmalina Hoagland were amazing horsewomen and even better company. And day in and day out from dawn till dusk, we worked at gaining the trust of horses. Some who were completely wild and previously untouched. Some who were babies just weaned from their mamas. And others who were gentled and ready to start more advanced training. This experience was an absolute dream. And at the same time, there was an underlying shadow side which I realized was the reason the sanctuary was created in the first place. As happy as I was gentling Mustangs at this place as we all were, I wondered more deeply why they needed to be gentled in the first place, why they couldn't just stay wild on the rangelands where they were born. And while I had some understanding of their plight, it really drove me to find answers to find the full picture. Long story short, as my training career was launched gentling wild mustangs, my curiosity took flight and took on a life of its own. Years later in my graduate program in anthrozoology, I heavily researched the history and plight of American mustangs every chance I could. I wrote my dissertation on perceptions of wildness and mustangs and had 77 respondents with at least one year experience with Mustangs as either an adopter, a sanctuary worker, or a trainer take part in a survey that unpacked what makes a wild Mustang wild. And upon graduating, I had all of this momentum built up and wanted to go even further into the world of wild horses while at the same time taking a break from research as I was completely exhausted. So I created a community called Wild Horse Folk, hosted on Mighty Network's virtual platform, which aimed to connect people in the wild horse world in one place. That was back in 2021 that I launched that community. And over the past two years, it honestly got put on the back burner. But today, I'm very pleased to say that I'm breathing new life into that mission to advocate for wild horses that began nearly a decade ago to better understand them, to understand their history, and to understand the different stories being told in their world. Remember earlier when I mentioned that when I worked at the Mustang Sanctuary Montgomery Creek Ranch, I published my daily journal as a blog? Over the years, the blog received so much positive feedback that I was urged to take down the blog and format it into a book. And so after years of pouring back over my writing, I'm self-publishing it as a collection of stories on gentling wild horses. In fact, at the beginning of September, my dear friend Trisha Mogensen, who is an incredibly talented photographer and horsewoman, came with me to MCR to take photos for the book. During this visit, I finally got to meet the ranch manager Santino and his wife Nancy, who runs the training program. They took over after my time there, and you'll read in the book all about how the sanctuary operated during my time there, but I just can't say enough how amazing it was to return and see that it had thrived during my time away. It was in fact a whole new world and stronger than ever. And during our visit, we got to sit down with the owners, Ellie and Chris, who are amazing hosts and truly some of the kindest, most big-hearted people you'll ever meet. 
I can't recommend that place enough. If you're looking to adopt a Mustang, their training program is incredible. Nancy, who oversees it, has just the best horse sense, the most, uh, how do I put it, just has the most grounded approach to it. And everything that she was saying about her training approach just made me want to do a little dance and clap my hands. If you're looking for a Mustang who has some miles on them already, I can't recommend MCR enough. Check out their website, which I'll include in the show notes. So I'm hoping the book will be ready to be published by the end of October, and I'll be offering a pre-sale option with some special bonuses, so stay tuned for the big launch. And then the other part of breathing new life into my roots with wild horses has unfolded as relaunching the community platform for people in the wild horse world. I took a step away from wild horse folk following a family tragedy that took all hands on deck to get through in 2022. And once we were on solid ground, I then started building my business Wild Willing. Note that the name I finally settled on for my business was also inspired by wild horses and the gentling process. And so my focus was taken away from wild horse folk. So I finally decided to scale back and incorporate it into my business so I wouldn't be torn between the two. After many months of brainstorming, I created The Wild Side, an exploration of the untamed. The Wild Side is a space to share all about the wild horses who roam the western United States while inviting us to reclaim our own wildness. The Wild Side is a 100% free resource based in storytelling, which is part archive of resources ranging from articles, current events, scholarship, literature, and musings, and part community of individuals and organizations with their boots in the sagebrush and their eyes on the horses who remind us of our own wildness. I created The Wild Side because I don't just want to host an online community for people who work with wild horses. I want to bring us closer. And I don't just want to research wild horses. I want to educate people about why they matter. And ultimately, the part that I play is an advocate for their story. So by the time that this episode has gone live, you can find The Wild Side on my website at wildwilling.com. The archive will exist on my website, and the community will live on the Mighty Network's virtual platform, which I have to say is pretty amazing. It's essentially a Facebook solely for wild horse people, only better because I don't know about you, but I've never really liked Facebook. And since I rarely go on it, it just gets so confusing and overwhelming whenever I do go on and everything has changed. But Mighty Networks, on the other hand, is very intuitive and flows even for the technologically challenged, which I admit I do have my moments. Members of the Wildside community can stay up to date on all wild horse happenings in their area through region-based groups, as well as create posts, polls, and events to start and expand on conversations with other members and get to know them better. Members can even choose a title that aligns with them, such as trainer, sanctuary worker, advocate, etc., and network with other members with similar backgrounds. And then the list just goes on. 
So if you find yourself being voluntarily dragged away by wild horses too, I hope to see you over at the Wildside community. Also, please check out the archive, drop some comments, let me know what you think, and then stay tuned for the book called What We Tame coming soon as well. Okay, so now that announcements are out of the way, let's dive into the history and present of wild horses. So what exactly is a Mustang? Quoting directly from my dissertation, a Mustang possesses no particular bloodlines or certain breeds, but evolved from horses reintroduced to North America by Spanish conquistadors in the 1500s and adapted to live in various terrains across the Western landscape after being set loose intentionally or escaping domesticity. A Mustang may be any combination of the following a free-roaming horse on federal, state, or tribal lands, a diverse combination of any number of breeds born in the wild, a rounded-up ward of the federal government, a tame companion to a human, or a herd member at a sanctuary who receives little interaction with humans and no training. A Mustang is not a breed which can be registered by humans, however select populations have been influenced significantly by humans introducing horses who possess desirable traits to diversify a herd's gene pool or to phase out genetic imbalances from inbreeding. A Mustang may be a wild horse who continually resists close interaction with humans, however their survival may be heavily dependent on human input, on or off range. Moreover, a Mustang may benefit or even enjoy being in partnership with humans as a companion, sport, or working horse. However, their human guardian may always wonder, would they be better off in the wild? The in-between status of the Mustang cast them as both misfits and heroes in the narrative of the Western Rangelands. They are a success story on the one hand, as their wild populations have steadily risen over the last 50 years. Absent management, herd sizes can double every four to five years, while other wild animals have become endangered. On the other hand, they are a cautionary tale of brutal mismanagement, as humans have historically sought to cap their populations through any means necessary, and they have been subjected to inhumane treatment in holding facilities and private homes, which increased their death toll. Okay, so as I said, that is a little excerpt from my dissertation. And as you can imagine, we can really nerd out about Mustangs, but I'm not going to just read you the whole dissertation. I don't think many people would stick around for that full episode. So let's get to the highlights of how the controversy over wild horses in the United States began in the first place and why it continues today. The horse was reintroduced to North America in the 16th century. New research, which I'll link in the episode notes, is revealing that horses are indeed a native reintroduced species to North America, something activists have insisted was true for years. Perhaps that's why, following their reintroduction, horses took to the land with such great ease. And within 300 years, the number of free-roaming horses had exponentially increased until they began being systematically exterminated by the mid-19th century. Those who hunted free-roaming horses at the time, aside from natural predators who were being increasingly endangered by human hunters themselves, were largely livestock producers who profited from their elimination the most. 
Mustang hunters called Mustangers culled more than one million free roaming horses between 1900 and 1950 alone. And these references I will also include in the show notes. And astoundingly, their large scale execution was often, quote, condoned and paid for by the BLM, no matter how brutalized the horses were in the process. Note, this is that gruesome part I mentioned early on in the intro, so if you want to skip ahead, feel free to skip the next 30-ish seconds. The cruel methods employed by these Mustangers, who gunned down horses and trucks and planes and roped them down after they had been chased to exhaustion, dragging them into trailer beds nearly dead after incurring all kinds of injuries, were eventually the catalyst for reform when the most prominent wild horse advocate in history, Velma Johnston, was witness to them. As the story goes, Velma Johnston was a secretary working in Reno. One day while driving to work, she witnessed blood trailing out of a crammed livestock trailer. Note, skip this part too if you're a little squeamish. Horrified at the scene, she followed the truck to investigate only to learn not only that it was transporting freshly rounded up, terrified wild horses, but that the blood was coming from a trampled yearling. They were on their way to a slaughterhouse at a pet food factory. That incident, in and of itself, ignited a grassroots campaign, which secured huge protections for free-roaming horses, and also earned Velma Johnston her nickname, Wild Horse Annie. After two decades of passionately campaigning, the Wild Free Roaming Horses and Burrows Act was signed into law by Congress in 1971. The legislation, which was passed unanimously by both houses of Congress, recognized wild horses as a federally protected species. Ironically, though, since the passing of the act, public opinion seems to have grown ever more divided about the, quote, wild horse issue. Fifty-plus years later, a great debate continues to rage over how they should be managed. The federal agency tasked with their management, the Bureau of Land Management, BLM, emphasized gathers or roundups, which aim to remove overpopulated herds and transition them into private homes or off-range facilities. Today, more than 82,000 horses are estimated to roam on public lands nationwide. According to the BLM, the appropriate management level, called AML, which would allow horses and burrows to live in balance with the land and wildlife, is approximately 27,000. This AML is criticized by activists as catering to public interests, as it was said at the time when the law was passed when populations were, quote, fast disappearing. And today, more than 58,000 horses live in off-range holding facilities unadopted or unsold. There are more than 58,000 horses who live in off-range holding facilities, and adoption demand has never met nor exceeded the number of horses and burrows removed from the range. More than 77 horses and burrows were adopted in 2022 last year, while more than 20,000 were removed from the range. Gosh, can you even imagine how much it costs? to house, to care for, to feed, to water more than 20,000 horses, let alone more than 58,000. I have three horses and my daily existence is just paying for them essentially. And that's how it feels like most days. 
Can you imagine the vet bill, let alone the hay bill? That is so cringy to think about, but it's important to think about because you as an American taxpayer, if you are a citizen of the United States and you pay taxes, part of your taxes are going towards supporting, caring for these horses for the rest of their life. And there's a whole other rabbit hole that we could go down talking about the incentive programs to get the public to adopt these horses. Recently, there's been a huge outrage over the BLM's adoption incentive program, the AIP, which pays adopters to, one, adopt them, and then after one year to title them. So they get the full maximum payment after having the horse for one year when they can title it in their name. And a New York Times reporter, David Phillips, had worked with the American Wild Horse Campaign and brought research to light showing that people are corrupting this program and they are just buying the horses, keeping them in their backyards for a year and then turning around and taking them to auction. It's highly unethical and it only pits advocates and activists against the BLM even more because clearly it paints the picture that they simply don't care about the horses. They just want them gone. They want them off the range. They want them off of their their ledgers, their bills, because as you can imagine, it is increasingly unsustainable. So unadopted or unsold animals are cared for by the BLM for the remainder of their life at off-range facilities. And the problem is that countless more wild horses are still at risk as the number of rounded up horses and burrows rises each year. So does the risk of what comes next for them. As the BLM strategically eliminates populations from the range, wild horses cross into the domestic world and are made adoptable through the Wild Horse and Burrow program. While there is much outrage from activists over roundups which employ helicopters, there is no one-size-fits-all method of managing on-range populations which works for all HMAs, herd management areas, or which all advocates can agree upon. The controversy does not end there when the dust kicked up from the roundups has settled. Unadopted horses who are passed over three times are then given sale authority, which means that anyone can buy them for $25. These horses are at high risk of going into the horse slaughter pipeline. So the question is, not only how do we manage wild populations, but how do we keep them safe in the human world? I clearly don't have the answers or solutions to the wild horse controversy. If I did, I would be working to end it, to create a better management system for them in the wild and in the domestic realm. But I'll tell you something, I'm always willing to ask questions, to go looking for solutions, and to even be proven wrong. Because there was a time when I first got into wild horse activism that I thought I had all the answers, that people who disagreed with me or saw it differently were wrong. But since being humbled by working with wild horses in the flesh and going down the rabbit hole to understand all the stories and all the perspectives at play in their plight, I've come to find that the more I learn, the less I know. And now I don't consider myself a wild horse activist. I consider myself a wild horse advocate. And the difference to me is simply that I'm advocating for the health of the horse overall. 
These concepts like their freedom and their wildness are very romantic, but if they're out there struggling, disease-ridden, starving, as the West increasingly has worse and worse droughts, I'm looking at what is the most humane thing to do? What is the quality of life? Romantic or not, wildness is great. But if they cannot thrive in the wild, then should they be wild? I don't have the answers or solutions to the wild horse controversy. But I can say that I am working to create a better world for my horses, for myself, for my family. And I know that change starts within. It starts by us reflecting on our belief systems, on our perspective, why we see the world the way that we do. And I learned so much of that in anthrozoology, that our beliefs can be both contradictory about the same animal, and they can be so deeply ingrained that they're concrete in our brains, or more loaded up than a pack mule starting out a wilderness expedition. In telling you the story, I want to remind you that this is just one side of the story. It is one side, yet it is many, many, many perspectives that I've distilled into one. But still, there are plenty more to be found out there. So do your own digging. Do your own truth-seeking. And I can promise you that your truth at the end of the day is different from mine because you're a different individual than I am. And we should be celebrating that, not crucifying each other for it. So please, if you care about this issue, work on yourself, give yourself love, give love to the horses, give love to the other people who love the horses, give love to everyone because at the end of the day, as long as we're not trying to do harm, no one deserves hate. And there's more than enough of that in the wild horse world. I read an article by Ben Masters years ago think it's through National Geographic on the wild horse controversy. He actually wrote two articles on there. I'll try to include them in the show notes. But in one of the articles, he said that he had actually gotten death threats to him and his family from people who are perhaps diehard wild horse activists who didn't like what he had to say. But if we're really just going to crucify each other for our thoughts like that, It shuts down thoughts that might be an actual solution. I know that horse slaughter is not the solution. We don't want to go back to what it was like before the passing of the act. We don't want to just start wholesaling horses or born wild to go into the slaughter pipeline. But we have to be willing to think outside of ourselves, to think what what the horse might want instead of just what we want for them. And I think that often there is a difference because we approach everything through our human lens, but we have to train ourselves to think outside of that. I wholeheartedly believe that we're stronger together as a herd, like horses, that when we come together and share stories, that is medicine. That by actively listening to one another, instead of just waiting for our turn to talk, we allow the truth to be heard. And my truth is, horses invite us to reclaim our own wildness. And I don't necessarily mean that by reclaiming our wildness, we have to dress only in buckskin, eat only what we forage, and make fire only by flint. I mean that horses remind us of our humanness, that we are human animals, not machines. And the more that we realign ourselves with the natural world, outside of us and within us, the better. 
the more harmony that we can find in our lives. Remember that this isn't an issue the wild horses have. It's an issue we have that impacts them, just like the so-called problem horse in training. It isn't actually the horse who has the problem, it's the human. Or rather, the horse has a human problem. And even in the wild, horses have a human problem. So if you care about this issue, remember to work on yourself too. Unpack your perspective. Listen to another person who might completely see it differently. And at the end of each day, work on yourself. Because we're better stewards to horses, whether they're wild or tame, when we take good care of ourselves. Okay, I'll stop rambling now. But remember, please, give yourself love. Give yourself good care. And on that note, as you stay tuned for the upcoming launch of my book, What We Tame, be sure to also check out not only the wild side, but also to join the herd. The herd is my membership site where I share all about health, wellness, and horses. The base membership level starts at just $2 a month. I'm always adding to the library and members have access to the full archive of past content and bonuses. So take good care. I think we could all use better self-care in our life. And with that, it can empower our horse care. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you stay wild and informed and I wish you harmony in your health and horsemanship. Until next time. Thank you for listening to these stories on healing and horsemanship. If you're moved by this episode, please rate and subscribe wherever you're listening to help the show grow. This show is supported by The Herd. The Herd offers monthly bonuses for members, including access to a growing content library on all things health, wellness, and horses. Join today at wildwhaling.com slash herd dash membership. And until next time... I wish you harmony in your health and with horses.